Wonder Thing Studios proudly presents a special edition of the Roundtable Podcast. 20 Minutes with Andrea Phillips. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Dave Robison. And I'm Dave Thompson. Yes, you are. And you have tuned into a special edition of the Roundtable Podcast, 20 Minutes With. 20 Minutes With is a homegrown, homebrewed opportunity to sit down with some amazing creators and explore their craft in our never-ending quest to improve our own. Absolutely. It is an ongoing quest, and I have an ongoing quest to have the most fabulous co-hosts sitting beside me in the virtual <laughs> studio here. And and dear friends, that voice, it is indeed the mighty Dave Thompson, formerly of the fabulous PodCastle, uh, uh, joining me now as co-host for this 20 Minutes With and and the other fabulosity to come. Dave, dude, I we've been trying to do this for so long, oh. I cannot tell you how delighted I am that we made this happen, dude. I am just blushing over here right now <laughs> with all the nice things that you're saying about me. I'm uh, so excited to be here. We've been trying to do this for ages, and uh, that it's all worked out now is making me really, really happy. So thank you so much, Dave, for having me here. You betcha, man. It's a good omen. It's a good omen, I think, <laughs> I think for things to come. So, And speaking of things to come, Dave, sit back, dude. Just, just ease back into that chair, pour yourself your libation of choice. I'd like to introduce you and our listeners to our guest host for this episode of 20 Minutes With. May I? Please. Excellent. Very good. Well, friends, she grew up as a military brat, moving from base to base around the world. Now, while there is no doubt that's a lonely and challenging lifestyle for a kid, she was exposed to multiple cultures, languages, and perspectives, and adapted as best she could to each one. Now, this gave her a global awareness of how people connect. And since every kid wants to be liked, she learned how to string words together in a very pleasing way. She became very charming and eventually quite adept at reinventing herself upon arrival at a new home base. Now, her formative years were spent in the Philippines, so her television options were pretty much limited to the English version of Robotech and the old Spider-Man cartoons with the commercials spliced in all the wrong places. (laughs) (laughs) But she kept herself busy with a wide array of hobbies, including reading, reading, and the inevitable reading. She read on the bus. She read in class. She read during meals. Uh, Now, starting in the third grade, she wrote stories, uh, in this case, about being kidnapped by an alien civilization. And in the eighth grade, there was some deeply embarrassing ElfQuest fan fiction. Uh, But it was all just a romp for her. Serious writing was magic, and she didn't have any. But then, around age 13, she was in the bathtub reading Roger Zelazny's short story Recital from Unicorn Variations, courtesy of her mom's occasional subscription to the Science Fiction Book Club. Now, in that tale, Zelazny effectively writes the story as himself writing the story. And that insight into the creative process was like having the curtains pulled back for her. 
Now, she had a similar experience with Michael Jackson's Thriller music video. Her friend got a hold of the making of video, and seeing that process was kind of an epiphany for her. The mysterious occult process for the way media got made was no longer mysterious or occult. It was something made by mortal beings, not television fairies, and therefore it was something she could do. Now, role-playing games didn't happen until her teens, when the traveling settled down a little bit anyway. She played the Role Master role-playing game, the game that has more tables than a Gen Con dealer's room. But friends, she loved it and gleefully nerded out with her brother as a crystal mage in their campaigns. Now, high schools... Yes, plural, still moving around, was a challenge because moving around. Uh, But she did get involved with theater and with the chorus. Yes, friends, she was Glee before Glee was cool. Now, there was also a philosophy class in the 10th grade that left a serious impression on her. Now, Now, this is just my supposition here, but I think that class had the same impact on her that Zelazny's story and that making of video did. It quantified a process for her. In this case, the process of thought and ideas and perceptions. Now, these are all skills she would ultimately put to good use. But she sucked at physics, guys. So whatever you do, do not ask her to be the engineer on your starship because that is only going to end in tears and probably an explosion. Uh, (laughs) She attended Eastern Michigan University, securing a BA in journalism in 1996 and started to explore the world of words for money. Then, around 2001, a friend of hers sent her a link to the anti-robot militia. And here I must pause to affirm that in 2001, her nerd flag must have been flying high and hard for a friend to send her a link to the anti-robot militia. Uh, The site was talking about how robots aren't alive and have no right to exist. It was was fraught with anti-robot hate speech, which was really freaking weird. Uh, and they, then they found more sites, which led them to a Yahoo group called Cloud Makers, who were also looking into all this weirdness. Now, it turns out those sites were all part of a new kind of marketing campaign, a newly dubbed alternate reality game for Spielberg's movie AI. And the thousands of members of the Cloudmakers Yahoo group were all on the cutting edge of the games and events as they were being developed. Now, our guest host was stunned and delighted and dove in with both feet, becoming a moderator and eventually co-writing and contributing to collateral material and even some versions of some of the games. Now, then... A couple of Cloudmaker colleagues, Dan and Adrian Hahn, started a company that would ultimately become Mind Candy. Now, our guest host, determined to be a part of this brave new world, kept doing side projects and other favors for the company until they had absolutely no choice but to hire her in 2005 as an ad hoc polymath doing, quote, a little bit of whatever it takes to keep the game rolling, be it designing or writing puzzles or live event coordination for a new freestanding ARG called Perplex City. 
The experience was transformative for her as she learned about professionalism, about hitting word count deadlines even when you didn't feel the juice, and the incredible dynamic organism of interactive storytelling. She was on fire. And then in 2007, Mind Candy canceled the project to pursue children's puzzle games. Now, they did quite well, but our guest host was devastated. Another lesson learned. Give each project contract your best work, but don't give it your heart, because things always change and the project is never yours. Now, she went on to other projects, including the iOS fitness games Zombies Run and The Walk, The Meister's Path for HBO's Game of Thrones, The 2012 Experience, Thomas Dolby's game Map of the Floating City, The Human Rights Game America 2049, and more, much more. Her work has been recognized many times with such awards as the Prix Jeunesse Interactivity Prize, a Broadband Digital Award, a Canadian Screen Award, Award, a BEMA, the Origins Vanguard Innovation Award, and more. Now, in 2012, she wrote and published A Creator's Guide to Transmedia Storytelling that was born from her blog where she talked about what a shock, how to write transmedia storytelling. Uh, but she didn't really plan on writing a book until she had a year's worth of blog posts. She mentioned that she might try to write a book, whereupon a friend introduced her to a gentleman who became her literary agent, and voila! She joined Zelazny and that making-of thriller video and the philosophy class in pulling back the curtain for transmedia creators everywhere. Destiny or dumb luck? You decide. I need a stinger in there. Dun, dun, dun. You decide. In 2013, she successfully kickstarted her own transmedia project, The Daring Adventures of Captain Lucy Smokehart, which to this day remains one of the coolest titles ever for me. And in February 2015, launched The McKinnon Project, a real-time story that unfolds through the reader's emails and texts. And, just last May, bookshelves everywhere were treated to her first published novel, Revision, about a Wikipedia page where any revisions that get made become real. Think about that for a second. That's kind of freaking me out. Let's move on. She also just wrote Circus of Mirrors for the incredible and newly kickstarted Imaginary Friend Books Company, which provides transmedia storytelling events that parents can run for their kids, which is just badass. What's coming up next for her? Who the hell knows? But with a background like that, you gotta know it's gonna be awesome. She is apparently a soldering ninja. She has been publicly condemned by NASA for bad science. Her favorite curse word is wanyan. Okay. She, <laughs> she picks wine by whether the label is attractive or not. She plays the hell out of the Dragon Age games and anything like the Dragon Age games. And she embarrasses her children by dancing in public places. Dear friends, please welcome to the big chair at the round table, Andrea Phillips. Andrea, I got to tell you, if you look back on your life and all of the things that conspired, you start believing in destiny. That's so freaking amazing. Ma'am, I am so delighted that we were able to find the time to, to share some thoughts and explore your craft. I really appreciate it. 
thank you, thank you. You've you've revealed things to me about myself that I had never seen before. <laughs> I feel like I, I need to pay you to ghostwrite my autobiography. <laughs> oh, I would be more than happy to, but first you must sit down on this couch and tell me about your mother. Uh, no, we won't go there. That's not this kind of show. So good. Were there were there any egregious errors that need to be addressed in there? To your to your knowledge, anyway. I I was sort of too stunned to fact check. <laughs> really. Mission yeah, that was, that was amazing. So, so wait, you you guys didn't do that ahead of time. Well, I, I actually I did come up a little bit short on some of the uh, some of the details, uh, uh, and asked Andrea for some fillers on on things like school and so on. And I do that from time to time, uh, uh, but Holy most shit, of that, that stuff awesome. most of that stuff is all out there on Tay interwebs, baby. Oh my gosh, a lot of that is I think stuff that I wrote about once on my blog like five years ago. <laughs> Yeah, it's possible. It's Good possible. heavens. There's a reason why people call these things stalkerish intros, Andrea. That's amazing. Amazing. <laughs> well, look, actually, before we dive into our 20 minutes with, because, dear God, that intro cannot count. Otherwise, we'll have no time at all. I'm just <laughs> curious. Um, what does Wanyan mean? It's It means vengeance, basically. Ah. There was there was a, a sort of, it's it's a, a pirate era kind of swear word, and with with a wanyan would would be like with a vengeance sort of, okay. and can, then can, I I don't use it in an in an authentic way, but wanyan is a really fantastic swear word, and I encourage you to try it in your own life. Can you spell that out for me? W a n i o n. You go Google that right now. That is awesome. Wanyan. Well, and it's it's funny how I came to know about the existence of that word. Oh. <laughs> would, you, would you like this story? Oh, sure, give us. The, that's why we're here, Andrew. Give it <laughs> when to I us. Was, <laughs> when I was working on Perplexity back in the day, we had this sort of alternate universe that had its alternate history, and it never had Christianity. So we were trying to come up with mild, archaic swear words that weren't Christ references. And okay. so we had to do all sorts of Googling for historical swearing. And this was the, the word that we arrived at that, that worked for our purposes, that was archaic and not Christian <laughs> in, in its derivation. So, so but it's a go. legitimate word from history. But it's a legitimate word from history. See, that just makes it that much cooler. Because because I think every specfic writer goes through that when, you know, they're creating a secondary world that has none of the history that Earth has. But people are going to curse. What do they say when they curse? That's a trick. So that's awesome. I, I will. I will adopt that into my into my personal <laughs> into yes. my personal lexicon. Wenyan. Okay, so. so I've 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 won. My work here is done today. Yes, you were. No, no, no. We have some questions <laughs> for you, ma'am. Uh, wait, let me let me let me just set the clock. I don't I don't want to waste any more time. Let's get started with our twenty minutes. That was Andrew. not wasted time. I that just was true. Exactly. <laughs> we have value out of that. All right. The clock is set. We're going to, I can almost guarantee you ignore it, but we're going to give it a the old college try. All right. Um, Andrea, I know you have spoken many, my God, you wrote a book on a creator's guide to transmedia storytelling. Um, but to this day, with as much as that term is being bandied about and as much awareness is being raised about it, I guarantee you there are people in our listenership for whom it is still something of a mystery. And I would be remiss. I know you've spoken of this many times before. And I don't want to take a lot of time on this, but I would be remiss if I didn't have you, the the, the queen of transmedia, uh, give our listeners uh, uh, some insight into 
very quickly what Transmedia is and more specifically how they can take their stories and transform them into Transmedia stories. All right, so I'll, I'll try and give you the Cliff's Notes version. There you go, exactly. Yeah. So the, the simplest definition of transmedia storytelling is the art of telling a single story through multiple platforms, wherein each of those platforms is, is contributing uniquely to the story. And that could be something like the McKinnon account, where you have emails and text messages popping into somebody's uh, own inbox as if the story were something that's really happening to them, where each distinct email, each text message adds to the volume of the story and uh, adds, adds to the plot and so on. Or it can be something really whopping and massive like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where you have TV shows and comic books and, of course, amazing blockbuster films that all tie together. And someone can walk off the screen in an Avengers film and walk on the screen in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. sort of, sort of the next week. So that's sort of sort of the, the super high level. The, the thing that someone can take away from this is that storytelling is very much a, a work of framing. And you're deciding when you write uh, a, a book, for example, you're deciding where the story ends, where it begins, what to include during the middle. It's a curation process as much as anything else. I mean, it's, it's creation, but it's also curation because there are always things that end up on the cutting room floor, so to speak, scenes that you realize you don't need. Uh, character moments that don't fit into the flow of the plot. And one of the wonderful things you can do with transmedia is kind of rescue those moments and find other ways to get them to your audience. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, you can think of it as, you know, DVDs do it with, with bonus extra deleted scenes and so on. So you can, let's say, have a bunch of illustrations or photos from the point of view of one of your characters and put it up on Tumblr. Or you can even have a character on Tumblr to explore their hobby of collecting ceramic turtles uh, and, you know, hit some character moments that you might not have, or if there were a relationship in the main work that you didn't ever really address within the story, but you really wanted that, that, possibility to exist and be canon you can play that out somewhere else see every make... writer i know i can't imagine them not wanting to put all of those bits that couldn't make it into the into the final draft of their story or novel and and showcase them in some way you know is it, is it really that simple just putting it up on a tumblr feed does that does that qualify as transmedia i do not like to make those those rules i don't like you to make I don't like you to have to jump through hoops to qualify as a transmedia creator. And okay. whether or not something is transmedia isn't really relevant to any important discussion, unless the discussion you're having is, can I be an official accredited transmedia producer and join the Producers <laughs> Guild of America? That's, that's the only time that it really becomes a significant concern. The rest of the time, the question is, uh, is this cool? Does it add to the experience of the story that I'm telling? Does it make the story better? And if, if you can find a way to, to make the story better by putting pieces of it somewhere that isn't in the pages of the book, then absolutely do it. That's awesome. That's fabulous. See, and that right now, you know, my own desire to engage in the transmedia experience, you just <laughs> liberated me from from all of that. Oh God, is it transmedia? Is it is it improving the story? Is it continuing and, and expanding the world? Are you having fun? Yes. Mm -hmm. Good. Woo! Transmedia. Now, now Andrea, you're very uh, emphatic uh, at the distinction between transmedia and ARGs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And could you, could you wax Rhapsodic just for a bit on what the <sighs> distinction between those two is? 
so much history. <laughs> I can't even tell you. Um, so transmedia is, is an umbrella term that covers a lot of different kinds of creation. And the alternate reality game is a specific kind of transmedia art form. Um, the, the ARG as such has almost a formula wherein you have usually a particular role for the audience. It usually plays out in real time. It's usually played by a community of people. So let's say uh, your Yahoo group yeah. or your, your, your Google email list are all, uh, let's say, people working for Primatech Paper, going back to the Heroes <laughs> yes, era, indeed. for example. And that's your role in the story. And then you, you get the story played out in real time as if it were a real thing that was happening, usually mostly on the internet. Um, sometimes that will leak over into live events also. Uh, you know, people literally going to a street corner and picking up a briefcase full of documents from a, from a, a stranger in a trench coat. Or attending an anti-robot militia mm -hmm. rally or something. Or attending, <laughs> yeah, exactly, attending an anti-robot militia rally. And it's amazing. It's usually heavily puzzle-driven. It's also kind of a niche form of the art, frankly, because there are only, let's say, at best, some few tens of thousands of people interested in, in doing those sorts of things in the first place. Not everybody has it in them to want to show up on a street corner to pick up <laughs> a briefcase full of documents from a stranger. Sure. But it is an amazing and powerful and, and engaging thing. So I, I don't want to talk like ARGs are, are, are not cool. No, certainly not. But the, but in the in the context of a storyteller, as as many of our listeners are, uh, it's a very different creature. For one thing, you're giving up a lot of control over the narrative when you invite other people to have some modicum of influence on how the story progresses, right? <laughs> well, kinda, kinda. I'm. You have to picture my air quotes here. There's there's very often an illusion of interactivity. <laughs> wherein you can give the audience a, a mission, a task of some sort. They have to hack the website to get the email to find out what the bad guy was doing, right? Mm -hmm. And the, the thing is, the story doesn't really go anywhere until they hack the website. There's really not a possibility of failure. So, <laughs> so the story you heard it here goes first, friends. <laughs> mostly where you were planning on it going all the time. And there are there are usually places you put in where you really don't know exactly how you want the audience to do something. So it's up to them to figure out how to do it. So if you set up uh, an event where there's a phone call and the audience needs to collectively persuade the snooty maitre d' at a restaurant to let a, let a, a couple have a reservation for their anniversary some particular evening. That's something that's that's actually very open to audience interpretation. They can threaten, they can persuade, they can bribe, they can play to some sort of sentimentality. They can they can do that in any of uh, a hundred ways, and you really don't know which way they're going to play it. But you're the one who hired the actor to, to man that phone for the two hours, and at the end of the two hours, by God, the maitre d is going to be persuaded. <laughs> Absolutely. And it doesn't matter how, it doesn't matter what the, the, the leverage that is applied because mm -hmm. the Mater D is a part of the story and a, a cast member, uh, he will be persuaded and then the story moves on. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense. That makes sense. It's, it's, it's so it's, 
sneaky. It is sneaky, and and but that's part of the whole design aspect of of the alternate reality game design. We'll be back with more of our conversation with Andrea Phillips after this brief promotional break. A fortune in cash and prizes is up for grabs if you can name that podcast. Contestant number one, what podcast airs once this week and stars host Billy Flynn, Flinstress, and Saucy? Um, Smodcast? I'm sorry, that is incorrect. The correct answer is Geek Radio Daily. You lose. Contestant number two, your turn. What podcast features hosts chatting about their geeky lives and fandom? Oh, 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 I know this one. Is it The Nerdist? Wow, really? Really? The correct answer is Geek Radio Daily. Does anyone out there know anything? I do, I do. Okay, contestant three. What podcast highlights patio books, conventions, guest interviews, and much, much more? Is it Geek Radio Daily? Well, yes, it is. You actually got it right! Geek Radio Daily has forums for Geek Talk, an active Facebook and Twitter page, and the award non-winning, sometimes weekly podcast. All this and more at geekradiodaily.com. Now, let's get back to the conversation with Andrea Phillips. There are so many other facets (laughs) of your world, Andrea, that I want to explore. Uh, I'm actually going to back away. Dave Thompson, what, what, uh, what questions did you have for Andrea? Are you backing me away from transmedia now? Uh, no, I'm not backing away from transmedia. <laughs> I'm just saying I've monopolized this conversation. I'm well, yielding the floor. I'm just I'm curious about how you're able to to balance all of that. And then, um, you know, when we're talking about a novel, you have your the narrative for the novel. And how do you pick and choose the things that you're using for different platforms? Ooh, good question. It's. It's largely instinct for me, unfortunately, which isn't mm-hmm. really helpful to you. In the same way that if you ask a, a novelist how do you choose which words to use in a sentence, <laughs> you, you may never get a satisfying answer. Um, but I, I think some of it is just really carefully analyzing what different media are good for. Uh-huh. Um, and also, frankly, what it is you have the resources to actually create. So if I'm creating a silly little indie thing entirely on my own and I don't have any budget, I'm probably not going to use video because I am not a skilled camera person in any way. I'm not a skilled director. I don't have a a nearby collection of actor friends willing to do, you know, a little bit of light video for me. So video is, is, as a platform, not really my thing because it's going to be spendy for me to put something like that together. Whereas I'm really pretty great at words. So text-based things, uh, Twitter and emails and, and blog posts are all basically free for me to, to create. And then you have to consider things like uh, urgency and immediacy, the effect that a platform would have, um, and how long-lasting something is. So if you want someone to be kidnapped, let's say, and locked in a room. You're not going to have them writing blog posts about their experience and how they're locked <laughs> in the room and really upset um, because it's not the right medium for that. It's, it's like as soon as you think about it, it's really not the right medium for that. And you would have that playing over IM or over Twitter, maybe. But you could have you could have like her. You could have whoever's being captured uh, see a microphone and their mm-hmm. captor is recording them. And you could actually like do some audio recording. Uh, you could. Uh, and- you could put that on a, on a live stream of some sort. That would be a great choice, too. That'd be awesome. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, and so I would many imagine. Hacks can be cameras. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, yes, yes. See, yeah. We're going yeah. to brainstorm our whole transmedia experience right here. <laughs> so, so do you find yourself like constantly thinking about different ways to balance it out and different mediums to choose from and things like that when you're when you're creating stories? Kind of yes and kind of no. I've I've honestly been focusing on perfecting the craft of straight prose in the last year or so, just just to build up credibility, essentially, as a writer, so that when I start doing more ambitious things on my own again, I can bring that credibility and maybe get a little more budget, maybe get a little more audience or attention than I would have just doing a silly little indie thing on my own before. But in terms of figuring out like how, how you balance everything, the most important thing to pay attention to isn't isn't even on the production side, it's on the attention side. And thinking about where this story fits into your your audience's life, how much time you're taking up, what time of day you're requiring from them, uh, so that you're building something that people can actually play. Ideally, so that you're building something people can actually play without devoting eight hours a day to it. And ideally, not having only one, you know, 10 minute thing to read every two weeks, that's not enough to sustain interest. So you have to really balance flow, really. It's it's like it's like a faucet. You have to set it to exactly the right amount of trickle to keep metaphorically to keep the bath hot, but not overflowing as it slowly drains away just a little bit. <laughs> Interesting. Did that, did that make any sense? Did that Absolutely, make any yeah. sense outside of my head? <laughs> Well, as you, as I love you, bath, so it makes perfect sense. Yeah. It was interesting as you were describing that, I was thinking those same considerations and concerns are a part of prose writing as well. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You know, you know, pacing and tempo. Where are you going to focus the reader's attention? How long are you going to focus it there? How long are you going to make them wait for an answer to this plot point or or this character question? <laughs> Yes. It, it, there really is some interesting meta levels in terms of, well, it, yeah, I guess it is. It's all storytelling. It's just that the transmedia uh, format introduces more things than just words and pages into the I storytelling should, process. I should also say a lot of new media people make the terrible mistake of thinking that they invented storytelling. <laughs> and... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm 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 totally straight too. Basically they they don't believe that there's anything to learn from thousands of years of history in literature, in in oral tradition, in all of the world's, you know, mythologies and literatures. And the fact of the matter is storytelling is really well understood. So once you have a really solid background in things like characterization, pacing, how to do a really neat plot twist, all of those really important craft things. Once you understand that, even in prose, you're going to have an easier time applying it to transmedia. And a lot of transmedia projects that I have seen in in proposal kind of fall down simply because the originators don't understand story as such. It's, it's not so much it's, the technology, it's, it's yeah, the it's not even the technology. It's it's the pure entertainment storytelling part of it, the the craft of narrative. Well, it's hard. Well, and that's interesting about your background, Andrea, because you know, aside from some ElfQuest fan fiction and stories about 
being kidnapped so by aliens. Bad. <laughs> so bad. You learned about storytelling. I mean, obviously you read voraciously, but your hands-on practical engagement with storytelling really was through the transmedia and the ARG formats mm -hmm. before you really got into the prose end of things. Did that give you a different perspective of your prose work as you uh, moved forward into that new format, writing words on paper? It gave me some good habits and it gave me some really terrible habits. And I'm going to tell you about the terrible habits because they're more interesting. <laughs> good storyteller. Um, carry on. <laughs> yeah, one, of the, one of the things that I learned wrong is that when you're making something like an ARG, the people with agency are your audience. And so I find it really difficult to tell stories where the important person in the story is, is the, the main character. And I find myself reflexively telling stories where the, the main character, the narrator, if you will, is spectating somebody else's story. It's, it's a really interesting bad habit. It's, it's not something that I've done to such an extent that it compromises the story as it is on the page. But it is a habit that I've noticed I have that I learned from ARGs, from, from this, this training to make the story about someone who isn't the alleged main character. <laughs> bad um, bad then, instincts from one, good instincts for another. Mm -hmm. And then another thing I learned all wrong is, is pacing, actually, because I'm used to having internet-sized bites of attention. And as a result, everything I write is too short, <laughs> much too short. And I get uh, feedback. I, I mean, I can even see it myself when I when I look at things that I'm writing. You, know, you, you just sort of have this important thing happen in, in two paragraphs where really that should be a chapter in and of itself. <laughs> um, but it's, it's difficult for me to expand, to, to luxuriate in all of the space that you have when you're writing prose fiction. <laughs> Because when you have a tweet, when you have a four paragraph blog post, and that's your your plot point and the the emotional impact and it's the reaction shot kind of all at the same time, you you get it done. Yes, you you it squeeze done it fast. in, you compress yeah. it and you make it happen. I would imagine that helps sometimes when you need to, you know, pull out a fast sledgehammer in a story and bam, here's here's a complex, sophisticated uh, uh, concept that I'm going to throw out at you in 140 characters. Bam! Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I, like it makes you a little more efficient in some ways, I would imagine. I, I think so. I can, I can be really concise when I need to be. And the sort of good thing about it is... I've learned a lot of versatility that not every writer gets to experience. I think I have my own particular voice that I've arrived at, but it's really just an, an amalgamation of different voices that I've written over the years. Because when you're writing an ARG, you're not writing as you, you're writing as the character. Sure. So you, you get the good habit of being really deep into some character and you, you learn to really, really, really understand a character instead of just kind of writing through a series of, of actions that a character takes and then kind of work out who they are based on their, their, their shadow in your story. <laughs> now, do, um, you, do you find that you gravitate more towards first person POV as opposed to third person in your fiction? I really do. It's hard for me to not write first person. Because <laughs> um, that's, that, that's the transmedia experience. More mm -hmm. often than not, you're narrowing in on one person's perspective. And the only way to do that and create that level of intimacy is to, to speak from first person. 
Mm-hmm. It's that and it's fake news. Those are the things that I do very easily. <laughs> what, what what did you just say? Fig Newtons? Fake. Fake news. Oh, fake oh, news. Fake news. Mm-hmm. Good God. <laughs> and Fig Newtons. That's awesome. We'll, we'll add that to your <laughs> <Yeah>. resume. <laughs> yes, fake news, because that's the whole uh, transmedia ARG thing too, right? Mm-hmm. Pretend newspapers. <laughs> Super fun to write, by the way. And it's always better if it's a lousy newspaper and not a good one. <laughs> it lowers the bar a little bit. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're running out of time here. Dave, you got one more question in your in your question holster for Andrea? Yeah, I, uh, I've got, I would love to hear more about Elfquist fanfic, but, um, <laughs> you know, but, but I, actually I'm serious. I was wondering, you know, that you wrote that when you were pretty young, I think, did, did you continue to write fanfic as you got older? So, you know, not only did and I, I not, I'm not asking you to out yourself. Exactly. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not only did I, not only did I not continue to write fanfic when I was older, I did not realize until I was, I think in my mid thirties that the thing that I had done in seventh and eighth grade was fan fiction uh-huh. <laughs> um, because it, it, it didn't have a name at the time. At the time, me and my good friend, Carol, who were both really big fans of ElfQuest, would talk about how we wished we were in ElfQuest. And then I would go and write our story with both of us in the worst sort of self-insertion, <laughs> horrible Mary Sue, and you know, illustrate as well. Um, and I have, literally, I must have four inches of notebook pages sitting in a file folder. You can still it. have them. I still oh, have that's it. so awesome. Handwritten. I keep and thinking I should just too? scan it. A lot of the pictures, yeah. So cool. It's so- someday, God willing, I'll be successful enough that an archivist will take it off my hands. <laughs> <laughs> and it will be elevated to this yeah. level of awesomeness. Yes, fabulous. <laughs> I, I, I'm afraid to read it. I haven't read this stuff in, I guess it's got to be 25 years because I, I don't have any idea really sure. what's in there, except in, in, in the barest outlines of my memory some Sunday afternoon you're going to have all this time you're going to go I should check that out and you're going to crack a page and you're either going to go oh god no or hey that shit ain't bad (laughs) (laughs) and then she'll be off to the race I just want to ask you one thing real quick Andrea you were talking uh, with uh, Justin on Rocket Talk uh, Mm -hmm. about some of the challenges you had writing revision in the context of being a pantser and that the, the <laughs> you you discovered, and and I I really want to kind of explore this just very briefly, uh, uh, because so much of your work prior to uh, writing, sitting down and writing a novel was the, these piecemeal fly by the seat of your pan things. You came into revision as a pantser, correct? I did, I and did. I I sat down and started writing. Well, and even even since I did that episode of, of Rocket Talk, I've I've written an entire other book since then. And that's even changed my opinion of my process as well, because I came into it with an incredibly detailed outline, not incredibly detailed, but it was a good, you know, few pages. I knew exactly what was supposed to happen in every chapter. And I sat down to write from the outline and I just couldn't do it. <laughs> I, I found I can't. The, the problem is that when I'm writing prose, I can't be linear about it at all. So I, I kind of sit down and write the scene that seems the most interesting to write Sure. At that moment, the sort of the, it's the lowest hanging fruit theory. You you write whatever it is you have the most juju to write, or the most emotional, the most, interest. the most yeah, emotional, exactly. interest, whatever is speaking exactly. to you. And so my my process apparently my process for writing novels based on you know a couple I guess now is that I come up with a loose outline, and then I write 
some of it, like the first, you know, 10, 15,000 words, maybe pretty well from the outline. And then I start kind of cherry picking little bits and pieces and, and writing things that don't always turn out to be what I thought they were going to be in the outline. <laughs> and then I start inventing entire other things that were never in the outline at all. And then at the end, I kind of have to work out how to string them together into something that, that makes sense. Like transitions are the last thing that I do. <laughs> Um, and working out sort of sort of causation and and on and on. Sure, there, I would um, imagine there'd be a lot of revision. Pardon the pun uh, that goes into uh, uh, when you when you work that you discover something in this scene that happens. You know, at, towards the end of the story, you have to go back and retcon all the other stuff to support it. Maybe maybe less than you'd think based really? on how I've how I've presented it. Yeah, I, I only really do two solid drafts too. I do a, a sort of a zero draft where I have to work out all of the sort of little tinkery bits. And then I, I have a really solid rewrite. I did it with revision. I'm about to do it with this other book wherein, you know, this character's relationship changed completely midway through. They changed gender or, <laughs> you know, I realized things like I should really give that shock that they're in every 10 minutes. That probably needs a name in the next draft. And I need to solve problems like, okay, where does this dude who shows up every where does he actually live? And what is commute time to these places like? like how, how can he be in Las Vegas and then also in Los Angeles? <laughs> like, and just uh, sort of nearby and knocking around. Um, just well, solving and suddenly all you have a book, things. though. Once you, and, then, once you, and then suddenly yeah. at the end, yeah, it's a book. It's amazing. Ah, now, hey, can I, can I ask really quick, if you don't mind? I mean, yeah. Because I totally sympathize with, with the outlining bits. And how frustrating that can be. About how long do you take to to put together an outline, or or did you take for this last book? Uh, an outline. Actually, I, I bang together an outline. It would be really surprising for me to take as much as forty eight hours to outline something. Wow. Okay. okay. Usually, I sit down and I write an outline, basically. Impressive. Well, yeah, forty-eight <laughs> hours for a book, uh, a book outline. Now, Dave, what's your process as you're as you're staring a story idea in the face? Where do what, what, how do you progress? Process, process. Um, mm, you know, I, I, I am, <laughs> who needs it? We don't need no stinking process around here. What are you talking? I love the idea of outlining, but it is so difficult for me, and I find it really, really hard once I've outlined to stick with the outline, which I think I, I've come to feel like is okay. You know, deviations from the outline are okay because if they're if they're more interesting to me, hopefully they will be to the reader as well. Sure. Um, but um, <laughs> on the other hand, I I hate realizing that I've gone down bunny trails that I had no business going down <laughs> and losing uh, losing a lot of time, you know. And uh, words. Revising. Words. Uh, yeah, lots gone. of words, lots of hours. That's uh, gone. Yeah. So I'm very jealous of, I mean, there are people who outline like mad and uh, can do an in, and make it just feel so organic. And I'm really, really jealous of those people. I, so. I should say that the situation in which an, an outline seems to work amazingly well for me is is a, a more collaborative environment than just sitting down and writing something by yourself. Outlines have worked brilliantly for me in a team environment. So for ah, things like the walk language. game yeah. mm -hmm, where you're working with another writer and then it's actually not so hard. It's not so bad because if you get really horribly stuck and everything is horrible, you can ask the other writers for uh, a little bit of a brainstorm and they can help unstick you instead of it just being you and the outline and the wall. Preach so, it, sister. Preach yeah. it. Yes. <laughs> you're, you're singing the round table anthem right there. 
Awesome. <laughs> Very cool. Look, guys, I, I don't mean to cut us off because this, this is fascinating, but but the, the, the clock has, has called up this, this strange wiki page called Verity, and it's starting to type <laughs> looking over its shoulder at me with these scowling eyes, and I don't want to know what it's typing in there. Uh, uh, so I'm, I'm going to just err on the side of caution and wrap this thing up. Andrea Phillips, thank you so much. This has been intriguing, informative, and enlightening, and I really appreciate you making the time, ma'am. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Now, Dave, there was there was a lot of writerly goodness that was bandied about in that last, uh, let's be realistic, about a half hour of conversation. Uh, uh, what's your takeaway from this? What are, what are you going to tuck into your writer's toolbox as as we as we click off the record button? Well, you know, I mean, just the bits that we were talking about at the end there about about it, the the writing process being more of a collaboration. Yeah. Um, I think or I think you can use that too as individuals. Usually we think of I mean for you know for individual works, usually we think about um, you know writing is a very solitary thing, especially when we're talking about short stories or, or novels or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know that that whole thing about working toward your ideal reader and maybe just bouncing stuff off of them or uh, uh, some friends that you trust and trying to um, Build that safety net, that that environment as you're as you're starting to create an outline. Yeah, that something. community. Build that community of, of of support and your your peers, your allies, your 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 faithful uh, companions uh, in storytelling. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. For for me, it really was right up at the beginning where you know Andrea affirmed that you know there are, there are no rules. To transmedia storytelling, and you oh, can, I love that. Yeah, yeah me too. And it, it really is very liberating. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized, well, you know, there's really no rules about fiction either. There, there are some. I'm not saying it's it's a, it's a wild west free for all, but I think uh, uh, I know in myself, and I'm, I'm sure some of our other readers, listeners, will, I keep thinking they're readers. They're not. They're listeners. Uh, will be aware of of this desire to conform to the genre or, or to the style or to the, whatever it is that you're working in. And that if you don't, you've somehow failed and, and it's not true. You haven't failed. You've created something new and awesome. Uh, And as long as it's in service to the story and creates a great storytelling experience, dude, rock on with your bad self. Absolutely. And I, and you know, just to build off of what you were saying, um, you know, Andrea's voice in, in the way that she writes is really incredible and really dynamic. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is because you can, you can, she's into it. You know, she's really yeah. made, she's loving what she's doing. And, um, you know, when you, when you're writing, don't stress out about, like you said, what genre you're writing in, make sure you're doing something that you love yes. and you will find your voice that way. And, and you can always tell a passionate writer uh, it comes mm-hmm. off. It, 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 it's a radiation off of the pages. It's beautiful. Well, look, guys, I, I hope you enjoyed that that 20-ish minutes or so of, of fabulous writerly discourse. Now, here's the fabulosity of the roundtable. You wait seven days and then come back, and we'll have Andrea 
And we'll have Dave, and we'll add a courageous guest writer, a creative and courageous guest writer to that mix. And all four of us are going to have a frothing story brainstorm, the likes of which the round table has never seen. It shall be fabulous. But I know it's seven days. That's a long damn time to wait. Dave Thompson, help us out, man. What, what, what can our listeners do between now and seven days from now to make that time fly by? Think about what you love. Write about what you love. Um, it doesn't have to be long chunks every time. It can be just five minutes here, five minutes there. Um, you know, and, and experiment with different styles. Experiment with different kinds of mediums. Um, screw around on Twitter. Screw around on Facebook. Um, write some fanfic. Have fun. Write some fan. Write some ElfQuest fanfic. <laughs> write some ElfQuest fanfic. Have fan fun fan. doing it. And, yes. And uh, I'm going to go look for my Star Wars fanfic. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. I don't think there can be a greater affirmation than write what you love. That's 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 profound. That's beautiful. I will tell you, as I always do, dear friends, that you find what you're looking for. So you go out and you look for the wow. Look for the holy crap. That's awesome. Look for the oh hell yeah. And I promise you, if you look for it, you will find it. And we will see you. (laughs) We will see you in just seven days. Until then, you guys stay cool, stay frothy, and stay awesome. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. See you later. This episode of the Roundtable Podcast is copyright 2015 by Wonder Thing Studios and is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David Labroyer, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at writerspodcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.